In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. I'm married now. My accent still sucks. Who knows where Paul's at? We can, you know, if you're a new listener to this podcast, you're probably wondering why is it sometimes Ian and Jack? Why is it sometimes Paul and Jack? Why is it sometimes Ian and Paul? It's because at one point during the week, all three of us just go MIA. So Paul currently MIA, but I do have Jack here with me. Jack, how's it going, buddy? It's good. How, how is life as a, uh, a married man? Welcome back to the podcast. Is, is Rachel you know, allowed you to come on today? <laughs> you know, I did get my permission slip signed. Um, ironically enough, I'm one to know as a Browns fan under married life. So I'm just saying, realistically, what the Browns have needed for the last 20 years is me to get married. So we did that. I will actually even tell you, those who listened that were at the wedding can attest. So we wanted to, Rachel and I wanted to thank everyone for coming out, you know, obviously making the sacrifice during a pandemic to come to a wedding. I'm sure there were plenty of people that maybe wondered why we did it and we have our reasons and I don't need to get too much into that, but I gave a little speech. So I started the speech off and I said, you know, I know many of you probably understand that I'm a man of few words. And realistically, many of you don't hear me talk unless I'm talking to the thousands of people that listen to the Paul Brown podcast around the world. So I did give the Paul Brown podcast a shout out in my wedding speech. I'm sure there's video of it. So I'll make sure to give it to Paul so we can put it on the feed. But yeah, it's uh, everything went off well as of right now, knock on wood. We do not have any uh, COVID-related symptoms with anybody. The venues and all the people in Ohio were absolutely fantastic. Our guests were very good in terms of, you know, masks and social distancing. So if any of the Cleveland or Columbus health inspectors are out there listening, we followed all the rules. Please do not call me, but we do appreciate you listening to the podcast. But I didn't get a chance to talk to you guys a little bit about that Houston Texans game, partly because I think I may have fallen asleep during it, but Nick Chubb, pretty uh, pretty good play there, huh, at the end? Yeah, well, we, we love a bit of Nick Chubb. Um, so he was doing me a favor at that point uh, back in the plus seven and a half for Houston. Unfortunately, um, the uh, Chargers didn't uh, pull their weight. They uh, let me down by one point. Well, they've added to their, we don't lose by double digits, but we just lose a lot of games mantra. Um, well, I will give condolences. My, uh, my buddy Alex did lose his fantasy football game this week by less than f- uh, six points, which was the Nick Chubb rushing touchdown. And I do believe there was a couple of betters out there that had a little bit different of a spread in terms of what it was going to be. So I just must say this, this new era of Browns football. And I think they kind of, you know, for the longest time, people that have probably listened to this podcast have been fans of the team as long as I have, if not longer is we always were kind of the brunt, the stupid plays, you know, the guys just making these boneheaded decisions to go out of bounds at the wrong time, to fumble the ball, the chance he's stucky on a third in a fourth and six running five yard outs to see a guy with the wherewithal to do that was 
it, it kind of signaled a new, it was like the bat signal of a new era of Browns football because when, when Donovan Peoples Jones muffs the punt, which by the way, your post game commentary was quite good about that. Um, we all sat there and went, Oh shit. And then the Browns said, guys, we have the number one run blocking offensive line in the NFL. Watch this. And quite opposite what Paul and I saw in week 17 last year against the Bengals, we saw an offensive line just absolutely maul the Houston Texans. You're talking two, three yards. They were just blowing them off the ball on the first carry. I believe is it one of the first carries Kareem hunt got tackled by the shoestring or he was going to go 90 plus yards. I mean, once he got through that, that arm tackle was a foot tackle. I should say um, he would have been gone. And I think uh, either Matt Millen or Dick Stockton even pointed out on the broadcast. So to see Chubb house one at the end, it was just nice to know we, we didn't need to throw the ball. We leaned on our strengths and you start to see this identity formed. And the thing we've lacked over the years with this team is we never really knew how to win in our own building. It was always crazy. We'd go to a game and it'd be like the Browns versus the Panthers. And the Panthers would come in in a bad weather game and beat the Browns. And you're like, what the hell? How are we losing in shitty weather to a Southern or a Western team? So we kind of saw that a little bit with the Raiders and we're like, you know, what happened here? Yeah, I think it's one where I still say get a dome and get a passing offense. <laughs> I, I don't know if I necessarily want a dome, but I wouldn't mind a retractable because I, I will say that one of the joys of living in the North is you get the four seasons. I don't want like a, a Minneapolis or anything like that. Like if you want to open it up, maybe go like Arizona style, because realistically, unless it's that brutal wind and rain, I don't care if it's snowing, open that damn thing up. Browns fans don't mind going in if there's some white powder. I want grass. I don't want turf. So give me a retractable roof. Give me grass and let it snow in there. Cause we know what, think about what Deshaun Watson would have done to this defense. If we played that thing at, uh, you know, was it NRT stadium down there in Houston? Yeah, it'd have been crazy. Um, but no, luckily it wasn't. <laughs> it's one of them where you, you need so many things to go well for a passing offense. You need the O-line to work. You need um, the passing game in a way to work, to keep the boxes light. You need the running back to work the pass off uh, the handoff from the quarterback to the running back you need all of that and you, you need it to work lots of times to go from the 25 yard line when you start all the way to score a touchdown you need to do it let's say 16 times maybe I, I don't know if that's exactly right but roughly 16 times you'll need to run the ball whereas if you've got a passing offense you're looking at three successful plays potentially gets you there you only need sort of the O-line to give you two and a half seconds, the quarterback to do his job and whoever the receiver is to catch it. So it's one where you can really speed it up. Um, and that's why you can be behind in games. You can get back into games. You can suddenly establish and run a lead on someone. It's one of those where the run offense is great and you feel more comfortable because you're like, hey, we've seen this before. There's less in a way that can go wrong for it to be a bad play, like an interception. But there's more chance it becomes a punt. So it's one where we'll always beat up bad teams. That's why I'm not too worried about six of these last eight, whatever games it is. We'll, we'll just run over teams. Um, the Eagles, the Giants, the, I think we've even got the Jets. The Jets, um, the Jags, the Giants. Basically, 
We're six and three. We have seven games left. We have the Titans, the Steelers, and the Ravens. Those are your three hard games. You've got the two New York teams. You've got the um, Eagles and the Jaguars. Those are your four. So you got you got the Fighting Joe Showberts. If the Browns win the games, they're supposed to win. It's ten and six. If they lose the games, they're supposed to lose. Now I will say Tennessee and the Browns match up, and that's going to be a really good one to look ahead to. But we get, we just talked about running over the bad teams. The Philadelphia Eagles, who we got coming up this week, are three five and one. And I know you know Paul knows and the world knows your love affair with Howie Roseman, the GM of the Philadelphia Eagles. As Jack makes the loving heart noise or hand signals, Howie Roseman has put together an on paper, very good team. This, I mean, if you look at the, the players, the names, all of the things that are associated with the Philadelphia Eagles, you see good players, but the records three, five and one. Jack, have you watched any of the Eagles games this year? Have you seen any of them? Like how do we, it's not injuries. I mean, they don't have any big injury in the beginning of the year. They lost Brandon Brooks. So he's obviously a top right guard. That shouldn't be the pillar of whether or not your team is six and three versus three, five and one. Yeah, it's been one of those bizarre ones. So I've I've not sat there and watched a complete game. I don't think because they haven't had prime time yet, have they? The Eagles Steelers game was a prime, and I think they played one Dallas game in prime. That was brutal. And I don't think I watched much of it. I I, I think I went to bed. I, I was like, yeah, it was a Sunday night game, I think, the Dallas one. I was like, ah, get a bed. Um, I don't think I watched it. If I did watch it, I slept through it. So, um, yeah, it, it was bad on both sides. It's one where the turnover-worthy plays are really killing them. So, most turnover-worthy plays, number four in the NFL. This, 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 start off by, it's a list which doesn't include the Browns. Whoop, whoop, whoop. So, that um, right these there deserves a badge of honor. <laughs> these aren't turnovers. This is more important. Because we actually discussed it for the show. If you throw a pass that's perfect, hits the wide receiver in the numbers, the ball pops out and lands in the DB's hands. Like we've seen a couple of times this season. Baker did it um, a few times early on last season. That's not on the quarterback. So this is why PFF's turnover worthy plays are a really, really good stat. So Drew Lock 14. But also, now this tells people, these are plays where even if the quarterback throws a terrible pass and the defender does not pick it off because they have hands like butter, this would count as, and correct me if I'm wrong, that would count as a turnover-worthy play. So if Wentz overthrew one or, you know, Baker overthrew an Lamar, if the defender doesn't catch it and statistically they should have, it's a turnover-worthy play. Yeah, exactly that. It takes all the luck and chance out of it. It's like, basically, is it crap pass? Yes. Um, then we've got number three, got Lamar Jackson with 15. So which Drew Lock number four, Lamar Jackson number three. Which is quite surprising. Lamar Jackson has a 15 turnover-worthy play since he's only attempted 45 passes this entire season. <laughs> when you have a quarterback that lacks accuracy, like Lamar Jackson does, it's not all that shocking, especially from a team that can't run the ball. If, we, if we're on about fast. lacking accuracy, none other than number two than my favorite tight end, Josh Allen, with 17. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I so we were watching a little bit of the game on Sunday, and man, Josh Allen... Ah, I don't get that guy. I mean, that guy makes some beautiful throws and then some throws you're like, what the, he makes Derek Anderson look consistent. I, I, it's amazing. He, uh, he caught the pass and ran it in. And I, I was trying to find my uh, Josh Allen tight end tweets and I found a couple of them, but they just didn't fit because it had some other stuff in there. So I was just going to quote tweet it and be like, I told you it was a tight end, but um, he actually and made then, a pretty good play on that one. Number one, 
So we had 14, we had 15. So Drew Locke, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen. We've got one. Carson Wentz with 23. Carson Wentz, 23. And even Three, five, and one. So they've played nine games and 23 turnover-worthy plays. Nine games, 23 turnover-worthy plays. Now, I do have a question. Does a turnover-worthy play also include the turnovers that he's so, like, if he runs and fumbles, is that a considered a turnover-worthy play? I'm not sure. I, I know it includes passes. I'm not sure if it includes on the ground. But a, a crazy um, stat, I don't have the exact stat, but I'm going to basically give you the gist of it. Passes behind the line of scrimmage. So, you're thinking these are, like, bankers. Um, you're throwing behind the line of scrimmage. Quick outs, Should bubble screens, easy. jet sweeps. Yeah. Those little pit, pitch passes that Mahomes does. Absolutely. We all, yep. We all see them. Why Drew Brees' numbers always look so good and why I always encourage people to look at completion percentage over expected because if you're throwing it three lines behind the line of scrimmage, you should be expecting a minimum 95%, I would say. Um, that should be cool. It's nice, easy pass. He's worse in the league by like a mile. We're not talking slightly. I think everyone else is something like over. 70 percent he's in the 40s it's, it's like that nuts this season um he's, he's you just wonder how that is meh. i mean um, you're talking about something that i mean to be fair i'm i'm not saying i could ever play in an nfl game but if coach said hey ian go in there and throw a bubble screen i feel like i could do that like all i do is catch and throw it i mean if it gets blown up we got another problem but i mean put that on top of 12 interceptions and one fumble that he's lost three fumbles total what the hell is going on with Carson Wentz? This guy's getting what a hundred million dollars. Let, let me just—I've just got a call coming in. Let, let me just say, oh, Paul De Podesta. Oh yeah, you told us all. Hold on, are you calling from San Diego, Mister De Podesta? Your, your veranda in Deepo San Diego. Depot knows. Depot knows. For oh, for those for those that don't know, when the Browns traded the soon-to-be Carson Wentz pick for now, no, let me get this. Right. They got a barrage of crap for this. So we got an entire waste collection for Carson Wentz. Paul D. Podesta simply came out and said, you know, we just don't see him as a franchise quarterback. Don't see him as a top 20 quarterback. Top, top 20. 20. It was brutal. It wasn't even like a franchise and a top 10 quarterback. Top 20. Well, if I'm being fair, Carson Wentz is 31st out of 37 eligible quarterbacks in PFF. Mr. D. Podesta. Take your, t take a hat tip right now. Now he's been injured a lot and I get it. And we've seen some flashes. Like we've seen him come into first energy stadium. Um, was that, I think it's 20. No, we went there. We went to Philly when he beat us and lit us up like a Christmas tree. We had that preseason with Foles. He was so bad. It was like, that's the worst yeah. I've ever seen a quarterback play probably. So, uh, you know, we have to take it with a grain of salt that he's not having a good year. The Eagles are not having a good year. They have found a couple little weapons in here. You know, Greg Ward coming out of the slot, Travis Fulgham, um, who was with the Packers. He's been, a, for all you fantasy football people out there, you know, he's been pretty good. And then uh, they got Jalen Rager back, who I liked him coming out of the draft, the kid out of TCU. He's an explosive player. So the Browns defense, I know that the Eagles are 3-5-1. If the weather is manageable, because what – Honestly, what's kind of odd is I would rather the weather be a little bit nicer because I kind of want Carson Wentz to throw more. 23 turnover-worthy plays, 12 interceptions. To me, says, let him throw more. Also, when you have two guards that really aren't even statistically ranked with PFF, they're that bad, that usually spells time for pass rush, and pass rush leads to interceptions and turnovers. So 
I wouldn't mind testing the Browns secondary a little bit with these wide receivers, you know, whether it's Fulham uh, Ward, I know that the Eagles activated Zach Ertz. There's still a little bit of question whether or not he's going to play. Obviously they have Dallas Goddard as well. So the Eagles do have some weapons. I just want to see this Browns defense get tested because they've played better in terms of some TFLs, in terms of a little bit more pressure. Your guy, Larry Ogunjobi showing up, getting a sack. He actually got a green grade this week. So, you know, we won't see him for another four week weeks, one. Good week one out of a bye, good. So now we know what to do. We just need to give him a week off before each game. Um, but yeah, we're still, we're still struggling to generate pass rush outside of miles Garrett. And what happens is, is when Garrett goes for a game and only has two pressures, we don't, we, one of the reasons we struggle to get off the field in third down is because of that. So when you look at Philly's passing abilities, you know, when Carson Wench is not under pressure, he's actually pretty good. When you pressure him, he's really bad. So just to give you an idea, um, the PFF grade for Carson Wentz with no pressure is a 78.6. Under pressure, he's a 37.6. So you're talking a difference of 41 points in terms of pressure versus no pressure. When he's blitzed, 68.8. And when he's not blitzed, 59.8. So there's this weird dichotomy where when he's under pressure, he sucks. But when you blitz him, he's better than when he's not blitzed. So I think we're going to see a little bit more of kind of those funky schemes out of Joe Woods. I will say I would love to see what the self-scouting did over the bye week because I think you're talking about a team that is going to make some tweaks to their defensive structure. You know, we already have heard about Denzel Ward moving from side to side for no rhyme or reason, which is good. Um, Carson Wentz is mostly productive when he's throwing the long ball to the right side. So that would be to our left cornerback. Um, He's completed six of 15 passes out there. Um, where over the middle, he's only completed four out of 17 and down the left side, only five of 16. So his, his grade progressively gets worse when he moves from the far, his right, which would be the defensive left over to the other side of the field. But where he really makes his hay is in that intermediate passing area. You know, he's 11 of 15 in the middle zone, which you're talking about basically between about eight and 15 yards. Um, and then on the right, he's 10 of 17 to the right. So he makes his hay on those out routes on pretty much everything in that second tier uh, passing. So the, the Browns defense, I think this week, I think it's going to be a good challenge. And we're starting off on the defensive side of the Paul, because I think that's where it's really going to head. Philadelphia has a tendency to get down quick. And then when they got to play catch up, they suck. Like they throw the ball, there's interceptions, there's tipped passes, there's sacks, there's fumble. Like that's where a guy like Miles Garrett, your Browns get up, say 10, 14, nothing. And then Philly's driving down the field, boom, turnover, 21 blouses. Yeah, and no, it was, it was interesting to see sort of within fantasy football. I know it's not perfect, but it was like the Browns defense has basically been the most added across loads of platforms this week because people are really on the Carson Wentz stinks. And, uh, to be fair, if you lose to the New York Giants, then I, I can get it. Um, it's obviously the most bizarre division you've ever seen. Um, how he can have three wins and be the out-and-out favorite um, is uh, weird. It, it is. And the NFC East is just an absolute dumpster fire. That's honestly why you have right now all these six and three teams in the AFC is because the NFC is just weak. I mean, overall, the AFC is a better conference right now. Whether that's for injuries or whatever reason it is, that's fine. But that's just the way it is. And the Browns, 
they're in this precarious position, right? We know that the Browns likely aren't winning the Super Bowl this year. I hate to break the news to everybody. Probably not going to happen. However, we are in a place where we can assert ourselves as a team that you probably don't want to mess with. Because I'm going to tell you, we saw it in that fourth quarter. I think the Browns went into the fourth quarter with 120, 130 yards rushing and finished with 240, where your running backs had over 100 yards rushing in the fourth quarter. The Browns have an innate ability to wear you down. How many highlights have we seen this week of Wyatt Teller absolutely just stealing people's lunch money? You know, how many times have we seen Joel Batonio just absolutely mauling people? Jedrick Wills struggles a little bit more in the run game, but in pass pro, he's given Baker the opportunity to shine there on that backside. So the Browns have the ability this year to really just kind of use their strength, the offensive line to lean on teams and lean on teams because we know that this, the Eagles strength is across their D line. So the Eagles D line obviously has Derek Barnett from a former first round pick. They went out and got Javon Hargraves, the stud out of Pittsburgh. He's been injured early. He is not playing up to what he normally plays, but you're talking about a big guy in the middle. That's supposed to clog it up. Everybody who's watched Eagles football for the last three or four years knows Fletcher Cox has been the absolute disruptor on that offense or on that defensive line. He's having not quite an all pro year, but let's be honest. I don't know if I necessarily want to just say, let's forget about Fletcher Cox. The one benefit to Fletcher Cox's game is he is going to be lined up generally over. He's in that left, what they call the defensive left tackle uh, position. So what they're going to do is they're going to line him up over what would be then JC Treader and Wyatt Teller. So you feel good about saying, okay, I have my strongest run defender in Wyatt Teller, who we know struggled a little bit in pass pro for the last game lined up directly over Fletcher Cox. And then the guy who's probably their best pass rusher, Brandon Graham, the first round pick out of Michigan, lining up over the defensive left edge or our right tackle. Now, and I know that Jack, you and I talked about this a little bit before in terms of Jack Conklin coming back. We saw our boy, Charlie, Charlie Hewitt released off the COVID list. He's good, but now it's going to be a big, big thing getting Jack Conklin back because lining up Brandon Graham over Jack Conklin is going to be a big, big thing. So I, I just lost you for a second there. Did we mention the former Brown and then nearly former Brown? We did not. On the D-line. So throw it out for a man that's had 122 snaps on defense. The man, the myth, the legend, my boy, Vinny Curry. Dropping a 77 grade on PFF. He's doing the business in a lot better than someone called Adrian Claiborne, who obviously is playing a lot more snaps. Claiborne had a bad hip. He's coming around. No, I think there's no doubt about it. The Vinnie Curry was definitely somebody. And I think the Browns even reached out and talked to they his bid, agent. They bit more. They bit more. Um, but yeah, I think he just play. wanted to go back to Philly, right? But uh, no, it's, it's just... And everything that I've said, it's like when we miss out on him, when we put in the waiver claim on Tack McKinley, who then went back onto waivers and then went to the one team above us, which was the 49ers. um, It's all about process. Is the process right? Are we chasing the right players? It doesn't matter if we get them because you can't get everyone. Are we chasing good guys? Um, And then we obviously jumped to Gennard Avery, um, who's putting together a 57.2 on 68 snaps. He's still battling injury, if I'm not mistaken. But, you know, the question is, is the, do the Browns want to sit in, you know, 22 or 12 personnel? Because obviously with Andy Janovich going to be out this week, you know, we saw it a little bit last year where Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb share the same backfield. 
And what's odd is, is the Eagles seem to be insanely susceptible to wide receiver reverses, quarterback runs and stuff like that, where it's somebody other than the running back. Well, if all of a sudden I'm going with say a 22 personnel where I have hunt and Chubb in the backfield, or, you know, I put somebody like a tight end where I'm actually setting him up as kind of an H back, you know, if we're talking about somebody like an Austin Hooper or somebody like that, um, the Browns could get a little creative back there because if you make the Eagles go and do what they call their nickel, um, bringing in that third cornerback, generally what they do is they move Malik Jackson then in over Javon Hargrave. So this is obviously your passing downs. They bring in Josh Sweat off the edge. Darius Slay, their number one cornerback, is having an average year for what he's been paid. Um, but Avante Maddox and the other cornerback, uh, Cravon LeBlanc, they've struggled. So you're talking really? about have having uh, Kaderil Hodge, Jarvis Landry lined up over these two corners that don't necessarily hold up all that well. So we actually could see a little bit more passing out of the Browns this week if the weather is dependent. Because if you can get the Eagles into the base, get into their nickel base, I should say, then you do have a little bit more opportunity to throw the ball. And if you set up, say, from that 22 or from that 12 personnel, you could actually see some pretty cool misdirection, some unexpected run plays. You know, like if you noticed in the Texans game, the Browns on that third and nine did that inside handoff to Kareem Hunt and Houston was totally not expecting it. He hit the edge and I think he got 11 or 12 yards for the first down. So look for the Browns to really just kind of keep the Eagles on their heels because the Eagles defense has just struggled mightily this year. Yeah, it's just, it's one of those teams and you, you mentioned it earlier, like what was on paper. If you showed me that team before the season, obviously they had a few O-line injuries. Um, but other than that, it was like, I look at that team and I go, yeah, this is going to be a really good race between uh, Dallas and the Eagles. I was like, oh, they, they could both, they should both be like nine, 10 win teams. It's like, who's going to do it? And it's just, it's been crazy how bad it's been. And I just, it's tough to put your finger on it because Wentz played a lot better all the other years. Even he's been top 20. Uh, he's not been amazing, but he's been top 20. Um, and it's just, I just don't know what we're going to see because even though they've been bad all season, I just feel that there is in that locker, they could come out and do us. And it was like, if they fire everything on cylinders, the amount of talent that is there, Outside the road line, it, it wouldn't surprise me um, if they suddenly just click. No, and I, you're 100% right. I, I, this morning when I was kind of prepping for everything, I sat there and went, this Eagles team, there's a reason the spread's only, what, two and a half or three, and we're talking about in Cleveland. You're talking about a team that's three, five, and one, and you're talking about a team that's six and three, and Vegas isn't convinced that on a neutral field, this is much more than a pick so, cause they give you two, three points at home, even though, yes, I listened to the thing about your home field advantage um, right now, but I don't know. I, I, what, you know what I really want to see this game is I want to come out of this game and say, you know what, Baker Mayfield, you did everything right. I don't need him to have a Cincinnati Bengals 21, 22 straight completions and five touchdowns game, much like he did it in Dallas. What was that week three where he just came out? He was efficient with the ball. He delivered it where it needed to be on time. Our, you know, all of a sudden, organically, you run for, say, what, 300 yards. And yet Baker still, I believe, in that game was, I think he had, he was like 19 or 20 or 30, uh, 150, 160 yards and two touchdowns. So it was like one of those games where no interceptions, managed the game, spread the ball around. Um, that's how 
you assume the balance that we're looking for. If Baker can be in that 160 to 220, you know, you break a long play or something like that, 20, 25 completions, spread the ball around, pound the running game, keep those safeties, you know, where they need to be, you know, because right now, in all fairness, the uh, the Eagles safety, I mean, they've got uh, Rodney McLeod back there, and I think Jalen Mills is the other guy they have back there. They're neither guy, well, neither one of those guys is really going to scare you all too much. Rodney McLeod's been a pretty decent safety over the years. Um, Jalen Mills is somebody I think you can pick on a little bit. He's bounced around to a few teams. Um, yeah, it's just, it's going to be one of those games I'm going to watch with a lot of anticipation because I think the Browns can either run away with this one quick or this is one of those ones where the Eagles could hang around. And I do have worry that like they would score towards the end of the game. And it may be one of those things where we just don't have enough time to come back. If I'm going with a prediction, I am going to sit right now. Browns 24 Eagles 20. That's, I think we're about where we're going to be at. I'm, I'm just over the cover and just on the under, but I don't know how good I feel about that. Yeah, so the the betting line as it stands when you get into it is 21 and a half to 25 and a half is sort of where they see it, it sitting. That's, that's, I, I think it's... I that's just, a pretty damn good, honestly. That's right in that. Because you can see the Browns up 17-3, maybe get a touchdown going up 24-3, and then all of a sudden, bang, bang, it's 24-17. You're like, oh, shit. Like, now we got to kind of hold on for dear life. Yeah, it, it, as long as the weather's okay, it wouldn't surprise me if it's quite a high-scoring game because it might be more of shortened fields rather than the sort of length of uh, driving down the field and getting loads of points. But all you need is a couple of turnovers and then suddenly someone can walk into an end zone after two plays. Is uh, Well, we know the Browns defense can get carved up like Swiss cheese. So, you know, I would feel more comfortable with us kind of implementing the game plan that the Raiders used against us and then we used against the Texans and that's ball control. You know, and I, I just want, I want, you know, this may be one of those ones where Stefanski, ta- I know Grossi loves to ask the question about the coin flip, but this could be one where the Browns say, you know what, let us take the ball first, get down there and put them down seven, nothing, because your hope would be that your defense comes out. Ironically enough, the defense doesn't too, doesn't do too bad in like the first quarter of games. It's when they get worn down. So you could get to the point where maybe you could get up on them 10, nothing, 14, nothing in that first quarter, maybe that first quarter and a half. And then you can kind of bring in, you know, thunder and lightning as we like to call them. It's going to be interesting to see how Stefanski game plans for this. Doug Peterson is a good coach. There are ways that you're right. This team, the Eagles will find a game where you're like, where the hell has this team been all year? I mean, you look at Eagles fans online, you talk to their beat reporters or anybody, and they're all saying the same thing. They're like, we don't know what the hell is going on. We know we have a $100 million quarterback. We know we have a Super Bowl winning coach. We have money on an offensive line. You know, I know Lane Johnson's been in and out, but it just doesn't make sense. And you just hope that the Browns don't play to their level of competition and they can put them away quick because this is Eagles team isn't a team you want to go messing with. You remember right in that Steelers game, Ebron fumbled a couple times. Next thing you know, boom, they're right back in it. So the Browns need to get out there, handle their business, implement their will and just wear down that defensive line. You, you know, the nice part is, is you have, we've said this before, the right side of the Browns offensive line is insanely good at run blocking. The left side of the Browns line is insanely good at pass blocking. So if we could just lean on Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham, let's say the first half, 
much like in the Adrian Peterson young days, you're going to see one yard, two yards, two yards, one yards, three yards, seven yards. Just keep wearing on them. Just keep wearing on them. And then you're going to hit that big boy up the middle when you bring those safeties in, or you get somebody deep where the play action hits them over the top. Maybe you hit Hooper down the seam, Najoku. I'd like to see a little bit more out of the tight ends this week. You know, hey, you, David, Najoku, you know, come play. We'd appreciate it. Come on. So. Oh, I just for Harrison Bryant, he's been the most productive rookie tight end by a country mile. It's like there's something like 50, 60 catches that we've had from rookie tight ends this year, and he's really? had like 13 of them. It's uh, wow. Nuts. Well, like I said, these are the guys I like to lean on because you know their their linebacking core isn't anything special. You're not talking about anybody that you know you're going to write home about. Pretty average linebacker core. Um, Safeties are smaller guys. So get those big boys down the seam. I will say though, Stefanski has been earning a lot of points with Browns fans. You know, I know Paul likes us to grade the managers, but the, the, the thing that I don't think when talked about a lot was Browns, I think had it fourth and four, they went out, looked like they were going to go for it. Romeo Cornell burned that timeout, which was their second one. So think about how huge that was in terms of being able to put the clock out of commission. I don't think Stefanski in a million years was going for that, but he wanted to go out with an exotic look that makes you go, shit, is he, is he, is he actually, oh no, just, you know what, take, let's be careful, hit the timeout. So that was a huge play. Um, just something that we just don't talk about a lot. So here's the stats from Joe Marino at the real Joe Marino, been on the podcast before, I believe, really nice guy at Draft Network. So uh, we'll go through the weeks, but this is catches by all rookie tight ends across the season so far. First week, two, four, 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 zero, five, 15, five, four, zero. Harrison Bryant leads all rookies with 15 catches, 151 yards and three TDs. And there's only one other um, rookie tight end, but at least 100, uh, 10 catches or 100 yards this season. And that's the Broncos, Albert Ogwengaboom. <laughs> Say that again. <laughs> I think it's oh, Albert Aguinabay or something. One? Hey, we'll I know just who you're talking Dave. about. <laughs> Dave. <laughs> but it's insane how uh, you always say, don't expect anything out of a rookie tight end this year. And people have been impressed with Harrison Bryant, but he's certainly a standout from the crowd, um, how well he's done. So it's really is a surprise. Um, but it's one where you can't just, pick up a tight end and go, Hey, rookie year, go out there and do it. Um, unless the name's David and Joku. Cause he's true. Or Revan Ingram. Well, I do know, I think the first tight end off the first rookie tight end, cause I may be wrong on this, but I can't think of anybody. Cole Komet, the kid out of Notre Dame was drafted out here by the bears, which I think gave them a round number 10 uh, tight end on the roster. So I do believe that in terms of the tight end crop from last year, uh, Cole Komet, I think was the top one off the board. Some of the other guys, and I don't know if I honestly haven't followed much of them. I know the Patriots took two. They took that Asiasi kid out of uh, UCLA, um, the Packers, I think took the kid out of Cincinnati. I don't remember how to say his name, but it's something funny. And then the Patriots also took that big Dalton Keene. That's his name. The kid out of Virginia tech. I know the Patriots took him. Um, so those guys haven't mu done much of anything else. So it's good to see. Cause I, you know, those are the guys that were taken ahead of Harrison Bryant and Stefanski for as many people that said he wasn't going to use the two tight ends like you, Jack, uh, he's used them quite a bit. He, he's barely thrown to him. 
But to be fair, we're barely thrown to anyone. I was going to say, I don't think we're the most prolific passing offense in the league. But to be fair, underrated. I know it's and people are going to kill Andrew Barry for this, but you went out and got one of the top tight ends on the market thinking he was going to be the guy that's putting up all these insane offensive category numbers. You had it right. Wyatt Teller, Austin Hooper, Nick Chubb, order of importance in getting that Browns running game back in order. So I thought Austin Hooper had a lot of good, no, nice plays in, against the Texans to really kind of just hold that point because a lot of times he was has to block JJ Watt and guess what? That ain't an easy thing to do. JJ Watt is a very large man. So nice job out of Mr. Austin. Hooper. I know that he's not putting the offensive production out there that some Browns fan want, but he is a key part of what this offense is doing right now. We've got news. John Hightower was a close contact and was out today, but he was not deemed high risk and sounds like Vinny Curry and Corey Clement are close contacts and unrelated to JJ Osega. What's sad? What a name. Oh, but um, yeah, so uh, Vinny Curry is on the reserve list. Hopefully so, he stays there until Hold Monday. on, because today's... I think he's on there for a close contact, so he can't come straight back. But he'd have to have two negative tests, and today's Thursday. They have to travel. So if you listen to Cleveland Browns Daily, they kind of broke this down. So if he tests, if he was close yesterday, he would have to test negative today and tomorrow, which would be Friday, which would make him eligible to travel on Saturday. If the contact was today, he would test negative tomorrow and Saturday. There's a possibility that some of those guys may not be there. It was that crazy one. Was it Matt Stafford or something? Yeah, Traveling. but again, who's chartering flights and all this stuff for John Hightower and a third string running back? That yeah, you have to arrange story. private travel and their own place to stay. And it's weird. Such as 2020. Who You knew the world led when the year I was getting married. Hey, I ain't getting married. I just got a dog. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I joked in my speech and I said, if there was, do you guys in England do these things called senior superlatives? So basically they do a survey, like when you're in high school or something, it says like the person most likely to succeed, the person most yeah. likely to end yeah. up as a, yeah, that kind of stuff. So I joked that if there was one person that was most likely to get married during a global pandemic, I'd have probably won that one hands down. <laughs> so it's just, it, it's been wild in the NFL. I, I think for the most part has done a really good job in just making sure I know the Browns had done a really good job of kind of keeping their guys out of harm's way in terms of uh, the players, but you know, just in the last couple of weeks, Chris Hubbard and then Andy Janovich. And now you have a couple guys, luckily our guy, Charlie Hewitt got out of there, but even um, Cody Parkey and um, who was the third one? Oh, Jack Conklin duh, was the other one that was like, Hey, we need to get these guys back on the field because at this point the Browns need everybody. All right. I, I, last bit. I, I need to do my prediction. So I've decided this, the game's going to be 24, 17. Done. Okay. It's going to be this 24 17. Take the under. I just can't bet the British world. It's going to be four. <laughs> uh, I think it's one of them where I feel more confident that predicting that score than going, who's actually going to win it? Do um, you think that when here's, I think if Browns fans really want a key indicator, if Baker Mayfield outplays Carson Wentz, the Browns win. If Carson Wentz outplays Baker Mayfield, the Eagles win. And at any time, if we get a touchdown and then we get the ball back. So if we've got the, the ball and we're seven points ahead, I think we'll win. Um, so you're talking about consecutive scores or something? Not even getting that consecutive score. We get the score. They don't score. 
So we score a touchdown, they don't score, and then we've got the ball back. I'd feel good because you're talking about in essence breaking the serve in tennis. Yes. Look at this. We're just such a multifaceted podcast. We talk about tennis and you can't get this kind of content anywhere else. I'm just saying. (laughs) It might be something about our style. (laughs) By the way, 40 minutes in, still nobody's heard from Paul, just for the record. Yeah. So uh, do us a favor. If anyone's in London and they see Paul, just tweet us a picture and just let us know he's okay. The question is, should they ask, is that Austin Seibert, is that Gardner Minshew, or is that Paul Brown? I think you got to have to determine whether it's one of those three guys. Yeah. Don't ask him if it's Charlie Hewlett, because we caught him out once. He don't remember his name. (laughs) So, all right. So, final prediction. You think it's going to be 24-17. Rubber stamp it. Browns or Eagles? Who's winning this one? Browns. Browns, Browns let's do it. Yeah. I, I, I think that it's one of those ones where I'll be nervous, but I think that quickly the Browns can ease my nerves if we can just get on top of them and just start imposing our will. The Eagles right now, I think, are just quite a um, defeated group. I think that they're just not having things the way they want them to. So let's go. Let's go Browns. Yeah. The the crazy thing is they're in a better position to make the playoffs than we are. (laughs) That is insane. That's insane. So, all right. Well, Jack, where can people find you on the Twitter machine? So I am on at Jack Duffin. And uh, we've now got these fleets. So all I see that is, is a reason to post dog pictures on uh, Twitter. So go check Listen, it out. The more, the more Claude and the less politics, the better for me. So I'm all for it. You can find me at Ian19. Drop us some comments, five stars, feedback, do as you wish. Um, I don't know if we'll get another one in before the, the game. I mean, at this point, unless something kind of major or crazy happens, we, we actually don't even know if we'll be able to find Paul or not. But at the end of the day, we do appreciate everybody, um, you know, listening. You know, if you have suggestions, comments, concerns, anything like that, make sure to let us know. Um, now that I'm married, of course, I'll have plenty more time to do podcasts, much to the chagrin of my now wife. Um, but yeah, thank you again for everything. And most importantly, go Browns. Go Browns. And just to say that Paul Brown is live, don't worry. He's not. He's not.